Inspired by hip-hop and the faith culture, the sanctuary in my solitude, the thoughts, feelings, and life lessons of an imperfect Christian by Anthony Kisik is beautifulfeetentertainment.com's work in print. It is a book of poetry and it's available through iUniverse.com, Amazon.com, beautifulfeetentertainment.com, and the links are also available in our social media and podcast. So please consider The Sanctuary of My Solitude if you're looking for a next great read. Thank you so much. This is the Beautiful Feet Podcast. A partnership with BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. My name's Anthony. And I'm Jessica. Last week we went ahead and talked about courage throughout the Old Testament. And we talked about like everybody, right? We talked about Abraham. We talked about his children. We almost went linear through the Old Testament and just found multiple examples. This time we're actually doing something similar. We're talking about courage, but from the New Testament perspective, right? Yes. Uh, Before we jump into that, though, I did promise you last week that we were going to cover Passover today, so we'll go ahead and get started with Exodus chapter 12. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Okay. Um, Again, I always try and think about the fact that people who are listening to our podcast may have never really read the Bible before or are still learning about Christianity. So when we talk about the Exodus, remember last week we were looking at the fact that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And during this time, God has called Moses to be able to free the people Mm -hmm. and this is no small feat because this is pharaoh's workforce he's not just gonna be like okay have fun you know like well yeah he's not gonna send them on a on a vacation or just let them go like you said this is his workforce essentially it is slavery right yes so god has to send a series of plagues again there are 10 plagues and the celebration of the passover really is the commemoration of what happens during the last plague Mm -hmm. which the last plague if i remember correctly was the loss of the firstborn right yes so during this time God has used Moses and Aaron to basically show Pharaoh, like, hey, look what I can do. And Pharaoh's like, okay, you can go. And then he's like, no, I'm just kidding. Like, I want you to stay. So this is like the the final card in God's deck here of this hand that he has to play. Like, I really don't think that God wanted it to get to this point. So, again, just because Pharaoh is really 
not getting the point here. Mm-hmm. God instructs Moses and Aaron to have the Israelites to take a lamb and to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost to their houses so that the angel of death will know to pass over, hence where we get the name, those families because, as Anthony was saying, this last and final plague of Egypt is the death of the firstborn. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is, like I said, this is a time where we've already talked about, um, when you get to this point of the story, we've already had multiple plagues, right? You said this is the final one, this is the tenth one. And every single time, the Pharaoh is like, yes, you could take your people to worship in the desert, um, but then he kind of turns his back, or like, takes his word back, right? He initially, he, every time he seems to say, yes, go out, worship in the desert, almost as if like they're going to come back, right? Yeah, go take a weekend, come back refreshed. Um, but at some point in time, the Pharaoh really was just like, he's just trying to say that to appease um, the situation so that the, the, the plague disappears, right? But as soon as it's gone, he takes his word back and he starts treating the people very, very poorly once again. So from Exodus chapter 12, we see that at midnight, it says in verse 29, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who sat in the dungeon to the firstborn of all the livestock as well. And Pharaoh and all of his officials and all of the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Mm-hmm. And you got to understand like, well, one, anyone who has kids could imagine like just the shock of like waking up and finding, you know, family members that you know you love dead. But it even hit the animals, right? Um, and what that does is it hits Pharaoh, not where it hurts, but it hits Pharaoh in an area where it's like, hey, now you're losing resources because you're losing a lot of cattle, you're losing a lot of livestock, which is again, at that time, it's essentially like draining someone's bank account. And so in Exodus chapter 12, let's see, verse 40, it says, The length of time that the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. Verse 41, At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all of the Lord's divisions left Egypt. And verse 42, because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night, all of the Israelites are to keep their vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean when, when you read that? So that is going to play into this week because this week is Holy Week. We've just celebrated Palm Sunday, which is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. 
We know that he's going to be facing the cross. He knows that he's going to be facing the cross. And during this time, so you have Palm Sunday, what we think of as Good Friday, mm-hmm. like, also would have been the celebration of the Passover feast. Yeah. So Jerusalem would have been packed. Like, this would have been the place to be during this very commemorative time for the people of Israel. So as Jesus was facing his crucifixion, they also would have been, <clears throat> pardon me, slaughtering the Passover lambs. Oh, yeah. And you're just like, light bulb moment, the connection here. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, we looked at fear and courage in the Old Testament. This week, we're going to be looking at fear and courage in the New Testament by talking about two individuals, Stephen and Saul slash Paul. Because next week, we're going to be looking at what Jesus has to say about fear and courage. Mm-hmm. Well, and one thing that we want to, um, as you're getting kind of your notes ready, we talked about how we're going to be mentioning Stephen. Stephen, um, he was he one of the one of the disciples, or was he someone that came to believe a little later? I know he's the first individual to die for his faith. Um, so that in that time is a martyr for those who may not know. Um, but I do wonder. I'm trying to remember if he was actually one of the twelve disciples. I, he, I'm guessing he would have had to be. Um. Well, I know that in chapter six of Acts, it talks about the fact that. Oh, okay, here we go. I got it. So in Acts chapter 6, you see the choosing of the seven. And so, because the people who were believing in Jesus were increasing, the apostles went and they gathered together. They gathered all the disciples And they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So this proposal pleased the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert Mm -hmm. to Judaism. So it wasn't necessarily, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He was somebody who came to faith um, during the ministry of Jesus. And and, um, yeah, just slightly later. So, but you want, we were going to focus on his speech. Yes, that's where I want to start out with Acts chapter 7, is Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin. Now, before we jump into the speech, 
do we have any background on who the Sanhedrin is? What was their role? What like what were they? Uh, so the Sanhedrin were the high priests, and basically, as you like to say, what had happened was, yeah. Again, in chapter six, there were people who brought charges against Stephen, and they said, "We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God." And it says, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. So basically, he's on trial for preaching the gospel because the religious leaders at the time were under the assumption that Jesus was not king. He was not God in the flesh. So anyone preaching the gospel of Jesus really was breaking the law according to them so they went ahead and put Stephen on trial well and the the charges that were brought against him says this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses has handed down to us so the Sanhedrin are here. They are seated. It is Stephen's turn to speak and defend himself. And the question that they ask him, which you would think in any court would be a normal and admissible question is, are these charges true? Mm-hmm. Like, instead of just being like, oh, we've heard these charges against you and now we're just going to prosecute you, they give Stephen the opportunity to speak freely. On his behalf yeah and so he does and he gives like it he gives an entire sermon essentially um where he basically is like look it's true um that i'm preaching the gospel of jesus and he basically says this is the way to be saved this is the way to know who god is like let's dig into this sermon well, and remember how last week we had started with Adam, and then we went with Abraham, yeah. and then we went to Moses, and then we went to Joshua. This is really what Stephen is doing in his speech. He starts out talking about Abraham, and how Abraham left the Chaldeans, and he settled in Haran. And then after that, we see Joseph, and we see the people being enslaved in Egypt. And then we see the, the famine, where Joseph was able to save his people. And then we see Moses again, something that we just talked about. We see like, it really goes into Moses' life. It talks about his birth. It talks about how he killed the Egyptian. It talks about how he goes and he sees the burning bush near Mount Sinai. He really goes into the story of Moses. Yeah. Now, what is the chapter you're reading so that our, our listeners can go back and read? Oh, Since this we're is... not going to go word for word, line for line. 
This is from Acts chapter 7. So please, go through Acts chapter 7. Like, take notes. Understand, he's going through the history of the gospel. Um, again, starting all the way back uh, with, like, Abraham and Moses and, like, everybody. Um, but he's going to start to connect all the pieces and point them to Jesus. Well, and remember, the charge against him was talking about the fact that he was speaking against the temple and against the law and specifically against the customs that Moses had handed down to the people. Mm -hmm. So that is really why a lot of his defense rests on Moses. Here's Moses. Here's the Israelites. He talks about how they get the Ten Commandments. And he goes through and he says, You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the Righteous One. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. That is the end of his defense on his own behalf. And what happens to Sir Stephen? Sir Stephen, like you said, he is the first martyr. They drag him out of the city and they begin to stone him. So they literally take him away from where most of the people are going to be get giant rocks and just go to town yeah they pummel him to death most likely took him out of the city one because they're just gonna leave his body wherever that wherever he dies but two um that way it's like a deniable uh what's that term plausibility Plausi deniable is it plausible? yeah deniable plausibility yeah see she knows words so it's the idea that like they can come back into town these religious leaders can come back into town and basically be like oh yeah we uh you know he left town type of a deal like that way they're not gonna be held responsible for their actions but of course it's in the bible everybody knows about it there you go so we see that Stephen basically gave them a history lesson of like, okay, here's the charges that you have against me. Here's some history from what has happened to the Israelites mm -hmm. that just kind of goes to show you, hey, like, I still have knowledge and respect of Moses. I still have knowledge and respect for the customs and laws that he has established. But also, on the other hand, like, you've been waiting for the righteous one. You've been waiting for the Messiah. And then you killed him. And he was here with you. And that's what you did to him. So, yeah. like, I think during the beginning part of his speech, Stephen was probably keeping his cool and just having more of the history lesson type oh, yeah. portion. And then toward the end, I feel like he just got a little <clears throat> bit more convicted. Yeah, the... We could, we could, and you could read it, and like I said, go ahead and read it. It's Acts chapter 7. Um, and it really just 
he gets, I mean, I could just imagine him getting heated, him speaking with passion, and just saying, look, the Messiah was here, you guys are waiting on the the Messiah, he came, he preached, he reached people, he healed people, he transformed lives, but because he didn't come in the way that you guys had expected, you killed him. Because in your mind, he was making a mockery of your lifestyle, of your faith. And all he was trying to do was show the truth of the gospel and what God was doing on earth. So in Acts chapter 7, we see that the chapter ends with the fact that a man named Saul basically approves of the fact that Stephen has been killed for his faith. Yeah, because at this point, Saul is, he's got clout, right? Like, he's got authority in this area because of his his uh, his job and his stature, right? Well, and then in Acts chapter 8, so literally the next chapter, Saul persecutes the church. Yeah, which basically means he's having them killed. Um, he, he's, you know chasing after them he's seeking them out he's seeking anybody out who believes in jesus and who follows jesus's teaching and he's getting having them killed and most likely the most like grotesque ways uh, to prove a point but in acts chapter 9 we see saul's conversion so this means that saul has a personal experience with Jesus and from there his life gets changed absolutely and this is a little bit hard for the people of the early church and also the Jewish leaders to wrap their heads around because Saul literally was so adamant and zealous in his Jewish faith that he actively was putting Christians in prison. Mm-hmm. Like, he would get orders from the governor of, like, okay, I'm going to round these people up. So, it is clear to say that when Saul was like, hey, like, I've met Jesus, people were like, well, isn't this, <laughs> you know, the person who's been persecuting us? Yeah. So, there's, there's, there's definitely some doubt in and, Paul's conversion and what's, story. And what's cool is, is the fact that Paul was actually on his way. Um, I don't remember the name of the city. It, it, it drew a blank. We are going to go to Acts chapter 9 to help you fill in that blank here. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he, if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As Damascus. he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So he's being spoken to by Jesus himself. Basically, is like, look, if you persecute my followers, you're persecuting me. Let me show you how great I am and what I'm doing. And 
And I like, I love that. I love that. Like, Paul, sorry, Saul is on his way to Damascus, literally to find Christians and keep judging them, right? Throwing them in prison, having them killed. Um, again, in the most brutal way possible. And Jesus shows himself. He's like, why are you persecuting me? And I almost imagine this as not a pity, right? This is like, he speaks most likely with an authority, right? It's not, hey, why are you persecuting me? It's like a thundering, why are you persecuting me? That's the way, because he falls off his horse mm-hmm. next. Like, he's in shock and awe. So, well, and the interesting point about all this is that only Saul can hear the Lord speaking to him. Everyone else just sees him falling fall to off the his horse, yeah. So, I wonder if they saw the light, though. Or did they just see him fall? Like, according to the scripture, it sounds like they just see him falling off his horse. But I wonder if they at least saw maybe a light. Well, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to jump to Acts chapter 13, verse 47. Because I just love that Paul has this reference. Now... Paul is with Barnabas during this time, and they've been invited. They've been, they're leaving a synagogue, they've been preaching. The people are inviting them to speak further on the next Sabbath, so like the next week after this. So when that comes around, it says almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And... When the Jews saw the crowds, it says they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. So here's Paul and Barnabas' response. It says, Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. And since you rejected it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life we now turn to the gentiles for this is what the lord has commanded us and now they're going to quote isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 i have made you a light for the gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth it says when the gentiles heard this they were glad and they honored the word of the lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So, uh, and I, I love this, right? I love this part because they preach to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people, like you said, are like shutting them down. Um, again, just just being very kind of like this is not the truth. This is not the way. Um, and they go, okay, we've given it to you guys, but we also have it on our heart. God is pointing us to give this message to the Gentiles. And this is the first time that God has reached out to the Gentiles. Well, and like, you you have to remember within the social constructs during this time in the ancient world, there was societal division between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were God's chosen people. 
They lived their life separate and set apart from the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. The Gentiles were unclean. Like, they were not to have interactions and associations with each other. They didn't even talk to each other. For Paul to stand up and be like, you know what? We've tried to talk to you and now we're going to talk to the Gentiles. It literally is like that. It's a slap in the face. It's like the pearls before swine. Like the Jews were like, why on earth would you even want to associate with these people? Like, what are you doing? Like, they knew that Paul, when he was Saul, was raised as like this good Jewish person. So he knew the societal rules. He knew the laws and... He was a person of authority in in the Jewish community, so of course he knew them, right? So, like, I feel like Paul is not a spring chicken no, at he's, this point. He's a full-fledged adult. He's, you know, at least in his 30s, probably early 40s, you know. Like when Jesus had, had his ministry, he had just turned 30. So I feel like within the community, they might have had a little bit more grace with him as far as, like, he's just still, like... He's a, a boy. young boy. Yeah, well, keep in mind, in that community of that time, you were not considered a man, and you could not hold any authority or any teaching um, status until you were 30. So, this is a pivotal point in Paul's life and his ministry. What, what a phrase, a pivotal point in Paul's life. Alliteration, <laughs> people, alliteration. In Paul's life and ministry because we know that Paul's legacy in the early church was that he was a church planter so now what this means was that Paul and Barnabas or other people who were going to be traveling I think with him, Luke was one of them uh, maybe he took the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ from the nation of Israel and Jerusalem and Galilee and like this concentrated geographical area and was like we're going on the road yeah and there are like many maps where you can look and you can see the journeys of Paul he goes all the way to Asia he goes all the way up to Rome he goes to Greece he is all over this corner of the ancient world yeah he is so this is going to segue us into like the last bit of scriptures that I have for this look at fear and courage. Because I know we really haven't talked about fear and courage quite just yet. Um, so last week when we were looking at fear and courage in the Old Testament, it really was, okay, I know that you are personally like, Joshua, right now, you are feeling afraid. I need you to be very strong and very courageous. Like, Moses is knowing he's not going to be in the promised land, so Joshua has to go and take it. Like, that is like, I don't know. We were talking about how everyone in America always talks about the Super Bowl. And Anthony was like, why? Why do we have to talk about the Super Bowl? So we're going to use WrestleMania because he loves wrestling. So it's like, okay, we're going to prepare you for the big event. Like, you're going to go into WrestleMania. Yes. That kind of fear and courage is not the fear that Paul is going to be talking about in his letters. 
So Paul is prolific. I'm really good with the alliterations this morning. Yeah. Considering the fact that I only got up like two hours ago. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Paul is a prolific letter writer. Because when he plants these churches, someone else is kind of taking care of them. Yeah, so what he does is he kind of comes in, he starts the church, he gets it going, he grows it a little bit, and then he puts somebody in leadership, and then he goes to another place, starts the church, lets it grow, puts someone in leadership. Like, it's really this pattern of like, I'm going to get the church moving and grooving, you're going to hold the church up, like, keep the church going, and I'll write you letters and we can talk through letters as to how things are going. Well, and this is going to bring in yet another word that starts with P. We're going to see some false prophets. Like, Paul has planted these churches. He's left someone in charge of them. Someone else comes behind him and sends contradictory messages. And these young early Christians are like, we don't know what to do. Well, sometimes it's not necessarily a leader in the church that comes from behind. Uh, sometimes it's someone outside the church basically saying, yeah, that's great, and you could follow what you want out of that, but you could also do this over here. You could also have this philosophy over here. It's okay to mesh what, what the secular world believes and what Jesus teaches. And that's what a lot of teachings, I mean, even today, we see it all the time, mm -hmm. where it's like, hey, you can believe in that Jesus thing, and that's great, but dude, it's okay to do this as well and Paul's like no and here's why so when Paul is writing these letters it really is like hey I've heard some things I'm just checking up on you and so that is gonna lead us into sorry I have like notes in different colored pens so I have to find the correct color that I'm looking for for this week okay second Corinthians chapter 12 verses 19 through 21 so we're getting ready to wrap up second corinthians and he says so he's he's talking about titus i'm going to back it up a little bit more it says i urged titus to go to you and i sent our brother with him Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Mm -hmm. I am afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. And going into chapter 13, Paul says this, This will be my third visit to you. Every 
matter must be established by a testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time, mm -hmm. and I now repeat it while I'm absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, and yet he lives by God's power. So Paul, again, he's writing to the people of the church in Corinth. And these are the things that he is afraid of. He doesn't want them to have discord, to have jealousy, to have fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Basically, Paul's fear is that in his absence, this church mm -hmm. is going to just fall apart because they're not adhering to what God has given them. And think about these things. Selfish, ambition, discord, rage, like... These are pretty much all the things that we have therapists for. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Like, well, it's part of the human condition for people to be ambitious, yeah. for people to be angry. So Paul isn't like, okay, I know you're never, ever, ever going to be this way ever again. Mm -hmm. He understands that. He has compassion for it. But Paul is also not saying, oh, I feel like I'm so much better than you. He, he says flat out, you know what? You might be this way. I might not be the way that you want me to be either. Yeah. What I like about it is he says, look, he's like, hey, I understand these are going to happen. But he said, he's like, when these things come up, he, I've told you how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like you said, he's not acknowledging, hey, it's never going to happen. He's saying it is going to happen. When it does, here's how you deal with it. You get a council of people to help each other out. You basically use each other's resources to strengthen um, and heal those, those areas. Well, and you've been a teacher. You know that as a, a teacher, a former teacher... Teachers never really say anything once. Oh, Teachers no. have to repeat themselves so that their students get, hey, what I'm saying is important. That's why I'm saying it to you more than once. So yeah. this is what Paul is doing. He's and that's like, exactly what he's doing. Because this is important to me, because I care for you and the love of Christ, we're going to talk about it again. Mm -hmm. So it really is this concept of this idea of like, hey, this is important. I'm going to teach it to you, and I'm really going to allow it and give it time to sink in. Um, but I could also hear, in the way he wrote that, is like, I could hear that impatience starting to come up. And like, guys, we've had this discussion. We've talked about this. We've dealt with this. We've, we, we have ways of dealing with this in place. Why are we not using them? So that's going to bring me to... We're going to look again um, at the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Oops. I she's flipped searching, too far. Hold on. Searching. Paul's concern for the Galatians. Formerly, when you did not know God, 
You were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. I really like that. So I'm going to be the teacher and read it again. Mm -hmm. Formally, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years, and I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. So this is Paul's fear. He lays it flat out and bare. He says, I fear for you, in verse 11, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you, and you did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you, and even through my illness, though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where, then, is your blessing of me now? So Paul is, I feel like Paul really has a heart and a love and a compassion for the people that he visits and the churches that he's writing to. Mm -hmm. And it be, it is because of that connection that he is so adamant when writing to them. Yeah. And, and you can hear it, right? He's like, look. I've shared this with you. He's being vulnerable, like he's telling everything, uh, the good, the bad, and, and everything in between, where he's just like, guys, I've come to you, you've come to me, um, and I'm just going to be open, honest, and transparent. And it's, it's an amazing thing, but at the same time, like I said, you can hear his frustration in the way he's writing. Of like, is this the end? Are you just going to throw away the progress we've made? Or are you going to get back on track? So I'm going to go ahead. I'll do a brief recap of what we've looked at today. Anthony can plug our socials and pray for us. And that will conclude another episode of the Beautiful Feet podcast. We looked at the story of Passover from Exodus chapter 12. We looked at Acts chapter 7 with Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin and Saul. We looked at Acts chapter 8 as Saul persecuted the church. Saul's conversion to Paul in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 13 verse 47, the reference to Isaiah 49 6. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We've looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. I did back it up a little bit, so maybe like 17 and 18 through the end of the chapter. And we've looked at Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. So this is my last note before um, Anthony plugs our socials and leads us in prayer. 
We see that the kind of fear that Paul uses is not that of one standing in the presence of God. Paul is a church planter, and his fear is that, upon returning to these ministries that they have started, that the new Christians will have reverted back to their old ways. Before I go ahead and jump into our socials, um, I encourage you, if there's any of these verses that you, you know, question, you want to know more about, read them. We just summarized them. We didn't read, like, all of Stephen's uh, sermon. We did not read everything that Paul wrote. Read these, these letters, read these sermons, um, and, and ask questions. You know, jot notes, ask questions. Um, but yes, you could follow us at beautifulfeetentertainment.com and Beautiful Feet Entertainment on uh, Instagram and Twitter. Um, and we're, we're, we're always, you know, we're always available, you know, to talk, to, to kind of, you know, go over some stuff. Uh, we'd be happy to do that with you guys, but let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for the courage that you've given us to live out our faith. We know that we're not perfect. We know that we, we make mistakes. Uh, that we often fall away from our, our calling at times or sometimes we just, you know, we make mistakes. Uh, thank you for the fact that you show compassion, you show love, and you guide us back to our, um, our calling and what we're supposed to do. We ask God that you would continue to show us love, show us grace, as we show grace to others um, who have made mistakes as well. Father God, I pray that you would be with us this week. Help us to be courageous in the way we live our life. Help us to be courageous in, in the faith that we carry. Um, but help us to also be compassionate to those who are hurting, to those who are struggling, to those who do not think and believe the way that we believe. Uh, help us to be compassionate and caring toward them. Um, because that's a great way to show the gospel and to live the gospel out. We thank you and we praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Beautiful Feet Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Beautiful Feet Podcast, a partnership of BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Please feel free to follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Please visit BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com and do not forget to like, share, and subscribe.